Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of our special guests. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, Pastor Dan uh, really didn't give the full import. He gave you some of the numbers yesterday uh, from the minister's uh, pastor's encouragement day, but what he didn't communicate uh, was how powerful it was. And I was one of the ministers here among, you know, like he said, around 175 others. And I'm telling you what, Pastor Dan opened it up, and then it was Pastor Deborah, and then it was Pastor Jim, and then it was uh, Pastor um, uh, Jessica. And, um, and they all absolutely knocked it out of the park. Um, and there were people, I know we got a text from one of your friends and my friends in Dubai in the Middle East who watched it. I'm sure there were people from all over. But I, I told Pastor Deborah that, you know, when she and Jim, Pastor Jim did the same thing, in Oklahoma we say they preach the wallpaper off the walls. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means, but that means it was, it was like radioactive preaching. It was, it was powerful. But I got something good from what all of you, Pastor Jess, everybody shared something that really impacted my life. And uh, not only for yesterday, but I just want to thank you all for the faithfulness, the, the stability, uh, the forward, you know, these guys don't know reverse. Have you realized that? They only know drive, full speed ahead. And so um, it's always, always a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Uh, these books, those are just four of the ones. So what I'm going to teach from tonight is the one on the far left, Miracles and the Supernatural Throughout Church History. And uh, you may think, well, man, I never liked history. And, and I understand that, you know, depending on what you were taught, how you were taught. But when history is his story, it's not boring. When you study the, the working of God, and that's what we're going to do, we're going to look at what has God done uh, for these last 2,000 years. And I'm especially sharing this because some people may come from backgrounds where you think, well, yeah, maybe God did miracles back in Bible days, but I, we're not really sure if he does them today. You know, maybe it's been, you know, 1,900 years since God's really done uh, any miracles and that type of thing. And, and we want you to see tonight, uh, not just from Scripture, of course, Scripture is our foundation. We also want you to see from church history that God's really never gone out of the miracle-working business Amen. at all. And um, so I, we're going to open up with a Scripture, Mark chapter 16. This is what Jesus said. And I can't think of any better authority than Jesus. He said to them, Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach what? Preach the gospel to every creature. And that's still our mandate today. Uh, we have good news. The word gospel means good news. And what is the good news? We were lost. We were separated from God by our sin. But God loved us so much that he did not want one of us to perish, and he sent Jesus to the earth who took our sins upon himself, 
went to the cross, shed his blood, died for our sin, but then most importantly, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. Jesus is greater than death, greater than sin, greater than shame, greater than condemnation. And the good news, this is what we preach, is you don't have to be separated from God. You don't have to die and go to hell. You can have a relationship with God in which you are forgiven and you are accepted and you are cleansed and you have right standing, right relationship with God when you put your faith in Him. That's what activates and enables all of that goodness and mercy to be received in your life. And if you don't remember anything else from tonight, that is the mission of the church. That is the mandate of the church. We have good news. And that is a, a quick summary of it. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe uh, will be condemned. And then he said, these signs will follow. These signs will follow. And, and he went on to describe certain signs, and, and, and you can read them all in your Bible, but he talked about believers will cast out devils, that believers will speak with new tongues, that believers will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 20 that they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following or with signs that are accompanying the preaching of the gospel. And I want you to notice this. Jesus said that signs would follow believers, and then it says that these signs uh, followed, accompanied the preaching of the gospel. We're going to be talking tonight about signs, wonders, miracles, uh, what are called church, uh, different scholars have differentiated between the ordinary works of the Holy Spirit and extraordinary works of the Holy Spirit. I don't really want to pit one against the other uh, because, number one, we, aren't, we are not to be thrill-seekers. We're not, Jesus didn't say believers will follow signs. He said that signs would follow believers. And so I want to make sure you understand that the, the mandate of Jesus was to preach the gospel and the signs would follow the gospel. We're not thrill seekers, you know, we're not sensational seekers or anything of that nature. We are, we are, are God lovers. We, we thank God for the gospel. We preach the gospel and then we expect the Holy Spirit to do what he does and that is to confirm the word with signs that follow or signs that accompany the gospel. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, in a mainline traditional type church, and, and I please, I hope this doesn't come across as negative or critical because I don't mean it to be. I believed in God. I believed in the Bible. I believed in heaven and hell. I believed in Jesus. But pretty much everything that was presented to me, as I, at least as I perceived it, was all just kind of informational. It was intellectual. And then we did a lot of rituals in church. 
And, and I'm, I'm really thankful for, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I learned the Ten Commandments. I'm thankful that I learned the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. There's so many things I learned that are good things, and, uh, but, but to me, Christianity was basically information and then morals, information and morals, and I'm thankful for that. But I did not know until I was 18 years old that there were other dimensions of the faith that were beyond just informational and ethical. And a friend took me to a meeting that was really kind of full of wild people like tonight. They were happy to be in church. They were enthusiastic. They, they were celebrating. And, and boy, I, from my background, you know, we just, we didn't, didn't really smile even in church. It was just, you're serious and, and you know, that type of thing. And, um, but, but long story short, I got prayed for that night. A man laid hands on me. And I'd had a back condition for about two years uh, from basketball and tennis, and it wasn't debilitating. I could still play sports, but I just had this sharp pain when I would move certain ways. And uh, for two years, I'd been to see three different types of doctors, and um, uh, they couldn't do anything. And that night, hands were laid on me in the name of Jesus, and Again, long story short, the power of God in a split second healed my back. And the gentleman that prayed for me, he said, young man, I was 18 years old. I had just graduated from high school. He said, young man, he said, bend over and touch the floor. I, he, didn't, he didn't know that for the last two years, if I'd bend about more than this, I'd have this horrifically sharp pain shoot down the backside of my right leg. I bent over and put both palms on the floor with no pain whatsoever. God instantly, instantly healed my back. And late, don't ask me to bend over and put both palms on the floor tonight. It's a different reason, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I don't want to show off. <laughs> so anyway, um, but later that night, I was prayed for. I was told about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and, and, and I received the infilling, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and spoke in another language, you know, as the Lord gave utterance and so on. And I witnessed in that night what Jesus had said 2,000 years ago, these signs will follow. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll speak with new tongues. And, and there's other things that are mentioned there as well. But that introduced me into, into a journey that I've been on now for 44 years. And I've seen God just do wonderful and amazing things. But tonight, I want to answer the question, does God still do that kind of stuff? Should that kind of thing be part of the Christian experience today? Now, please don't misunderstand. I understand people go through all kinds of challenges, all kinds of difficulties in life. We live in a fallen world, but we serve a risen Savior. And the Bible says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Jesus said in John 14, 12, he said, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father.
So we're going to look at some of these things tonight. I want to share with you a statement that, um, that Reinhard Bonnke made. He said, Christianity is either supernatural or nothing at all. We had and still have a supernatural Jesus with a supernatural ministry creating a supernatural church with a supernatural gospel and a supernatural Bible. Take the miraculous away and you have taken Christianity's life away. The church then becomes an ethical society or a social club when it is intended to be the, the grid system for transmitting the power of God into this powerless world. You and I are conductors of God's power to the world. Jesus told his earliest disciples, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me. If you're here tonight and, you know, you've never seen or heard or experienced anything of a supernatural nature, I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit has never left the church. There have been times when the church, I'm just talking about churches in general, not this church. There have been times when churches have turned their back on him. There have been times when people have ignored the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has always yearned to be prevalent and present amongst the people of God. We're going to look at some people through church history. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. You ready to go back to the very beginning of church history? Pastor Jim Cobre was born in 1945. I'm sorry, Pastor Jim. That's not the beginning of church history. It's the beginning of an important part. How many of you think your pastor, Pastor Jim, is, he's, you know, and, and you know, we're all a part of church history, aren't we, really? But no, we're going to go way back further than 1945. Um, we're going to look at, and, and guys, I'm going to skip a couple slides here in just a minute, um, but we're going to look at some people. John, the Apostle John was the last uh, of the original apostles. He, he died almost at the end of the first century. He was very old, and all of the other apostles, all of the other major church leaders of the first century had already died. And Many of them, practically all of them, had given their lives because they refused to deny that Jesus was the Christ. They refused to deny that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and they refused to bow their knee to Caesar as God. And all of them could have saved their lives simply by cursing Christ and uttering these words, Caesar is Lord, but they refused to do it because they knew Caesar was not Lord, that Jesus was Lord, and he alone was the Son of God who gave eternal life, etc. So John died around the year, you know, we'll just say between 95 and 100 A.D., and there are people who actually teach that when John died, 
that the Holy Spirit, the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as miracles, healings, tongues, things of that nature, that those kind of discontinued when John died, that they were only for that original, you know, first century group of believers. But I want to introduce you to some people that you may have never heard of. Um, their names may sound a little bit funny. Uh, we, we may have some pictures, you know, artist renderings, and they may look like they're kind of dressed funny. But these are some of our spiritual ancestors. And I want to introduce you to these people, and I want you to hear what they said about the working of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural, after the quote-unquote last apostle died. Are you ready for this? Let's look at a guy named Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch. Um, you may wonder, what, what's that weird picture for? Well, he was put to death. He was fed to the lions uh, in Rome, and his only crime was preaching Jesus Christ. Um, and and he, he was a disciple of the apostle John. He was the pastor in Antioch, which is in, today it's in southern, south-central Turkey, and uh, he would have known John personally. And he was writing a letter to another one of John's disciples named Polycarp, who was a pastor in Smyrna, uh, in also who was another one of John's disciples. So here are two of John's disciples corresponding some 20 years after John had died. And he told this other pastor, you know, we just had that wonderful pastor's encouragement day. He was encouraging this other pastor, this other disciple of John. And he tells Polycarp, he says, linger constantly in prayer. Seek a greater understanding than what you have. Now, can I just stop and say something here? If you're content with what you know, if you're content with your experience in God up to this point, then you've kind of positioned yourself to not be humble enough and hungry enough. How many of you know there's more to know than what you know? There's more to experience than what you've experienced. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There is, we, we, don't, we don't elevate the experiential side of Christianity. Uh, we don't seek experiences. The, the Word of God is our foundation. But when the Word of God is our foundation, we are going to have some experiences. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He tells him to, to linger in prayer, to seek a greater understanding than what you have. And then he tells him, ask for invisible things. Ask for invisible things. What are invisible things? They're the things of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with asking for a material thing, a visible thing. There's nothing wrong with you know, asking for, believing God for material needs that you have. But I'll tell you what, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the things will be added to you. And Ignatius tells Polycarp to ask for invisible things that they may be made manifest to you and that you may lack nothing and abound with what? 
abound with all spiritual gifts. Some people say, well, the gifts of the Spirit discontinued when John died. Well, if anybody would have known that, it would have been his two disciples, these two pastors that he trained 20 years after John has left the earth, these two pastors are encouraging each other. And Ignatius is saying, you just need to hunger, ask for invisible things. He's telling him to, uh, that if you do that, you will lack nothing and you will abound with all spiritual gifts. Well, why would we want to abound with spiritual gifts? Because they are the tools that God uses to work through anointed, spirit-filled believers, not just preachers, but the gifts of the Spirit are the tools that God uses to work through us uh, to, to help people. As a very young minister, we were having a prayer meeting at church. And uh, people, you know, the pastor had instructed a little bit, and people were just praying and walking and kneeling and things like that. And I looked over. I was up on the platform, actually, on this side of our church. No, it was this side of our church platform. And I looked over here, and kneeling was this young man that I'd never seen before. And just when my eyes laid, you know, laid side on him, I heard this. It was kind of like a still, small voice on the inside, and it was just simply this, suicide. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't, I'd never seen this young man in my life before, and I thought, what, what, what is this? And, and, and I, I, it happened again, and I finally went over to that young man, knelt down beside him, and at kind of an appropriate time, uh, I just said, excuse me, but I said, have you been dealing with any suicidal thoughts? And his eyes got big and he looked at me and he said, how did you know that? And, and again, I won't take time for the whole story, but he had come to church and he had planned to take his life within the day, uh, like a day, the next day. But he said, I'm going to give God one more chance. And, and he, he came to church and was praying. He'd never been there before. He didn't know anybody in our church. Nobody in our church knew him, but the Holy Spirit knew him. You say, what, what was that? Well, I, you know, I don't know that it matters what we call it. I think we'd probably call it a word of knowledge in, in 1 Corinthians 12, but the bottom line is the Holy Spirit gave me a, a leading or an impulse to just go inquire and, you know, because God loved that young man, didn't want him to end his life. And so we need the Holy Spirit. We want to use our brains. I mean, whenever we can minister to people with wisdom and things like that, but sometimes there's things you don't know in the natural. And you need a supernatural leading from the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's go to the next slide if we could. This is a guy named Irenaeus of Lyon. And uh, he was a disciple of Polycarp. You remember John had Polycarp and Ignatius as John's disciples. And then this guy was a disciple of, of Polycarp. So he'd have been kind of like uh, the Apostle John's spiritual grandson. And Polycarp, when this man was 25 years old, Polycarp sent him from what today is the nation of Turkey all the way over to what today is France. And, and this young man at the age of 25 became the pastor of the church in Lyon, France. It's a city there today. 
And Irenaeus made this statement. Notice he didn't die until 202, so we're getting into the very beginning of the third century. He said, Jesus' disciples receiving grace from him perform miracles in his name to promote the welfare of others according to the gift that each one has received from God. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Next slide. He said, others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Moreover, as I have said, even the dead have been raised up and remained among us for many years. He said, it is not possible to name the number of gifts that the church scattered throughout the whole world has received from God. Apparently, these early church leaders had not read the book that said they weren't supposed to have those things happening anymore because John had died. The people that were there saw that just because John died didn't mean that the Holy Spirit had evacuated and, and abandoned the church. Is the same Holy Spirit that was working. He went on to say this, this other slide. Did I do the other one? He said, we also hear of many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. They bring to light for, uh, for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. The gifts of the Spirit were still very strong even at the beginning of the third century. Let's go to the next slide. We have another guy named Augustine. If you've never heard of these other people, you've probably heard of Augustine. We know St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, Augustine was an African pastor. He was in northern Africa in um, what is the city of Carthage. And... Um, in his later days as a, a pastor there in North Africa, uh, Augustine said this. He said, even now, therefore, many miracles are worked. The same God who worked those we read of is still performing them by whom he will and as he will. And in this book he was writing at the time, and notice that Augustine lived until 430. He's, he lives until getting toward the middle of the 5th century. Uh, Augustine, in, he records in this book 70, 70 miracles that happened among his church members and people in his immediate vicinity. He records 70, and then he goes on to say, I cannot record all the miracles I know. But he did record 70. And he, and he went on to say, basically, some of my church members are going to be upset when they read this and find out that I did not include the story of their miracle. But he said, basically, if I'm going to finish this book, I've got to, cut, I've got to draw the line somewhere. I don't know about you, Pastor Dan. I wish I could say, well, man, I, I can only record 70 miracles, and after that I'm going to have to cut it off. Just, you know, th these, these individuals... They were open to the Holy Spirit and things that only the Holy Spirit could do. Now, one thing I want to throw this in, too, that Augustine said. He said the Holy Spirit, too, works within 
that the medicine externally applied may have some good result. Some people today think that Oral Roberts was the first one that came up with the idea of combining faith and medicine. But I need you to know, back in the fifth century, Augustine was saying, hey, if you take some medicine, then still let the Holy Spirit work on the inside of you uh, to work together with that medicine to bring a good result. Isn't that good? Uh, We're going to jump ahead. Let's go to the next slide if we could. Bernard of Clairvaux, he said, and we're into the second millennium now, he said the, the Holy Spirit communicates himself for the working of miracles in signs and wonders and other supernatural operations, which he affects, notice this, which he affects by the hands of whomever he pleases, renewing the wonders of bygone times so that the events of the present may confirm our belief as to those of the past. He has bestowed on them for their benefit, for miracle working, for salvation, for help, for consolation, and for fervor. I want you to notice that he recognized that the Holy Spirit could work through any believer, not just special ones. We do understand that certain people are particularly used in gifts of the Spirit, gifts of healings, working of miracles, but, but there can be, God can work through faith through any believer as he wills. And so we want to just be mindful of that. Let's skip to another one if we could. We're jumping centuries. You know, how many of you know it's hard to cover 2,000 years in one night? Anybody here grew up Methodist? Anybody grew up Methodist? I married a Methodist. My mother was was a Methodist. I got saved at a Methodist youth camp. uh, just so I'm, I'm married in a Methodist church, so I really thank God for the Methodists. Well, John Wesley in London was the founder of Methodism. And it's kind of an interesting story with him because he, he went to Oxford. How many of you know Oxford is considered to be the premier university in the world, some would say? And he was the son of a priest, an Anglican priest, and he became, John Wesley became an Anglican priest, became a professor at Oxford, a professor of theology. But he had a problem. He had, his head was full of information, but in his heart, he didn't know if he was saved or not. And he struggled with that. You think, how could a guy be an Oxford professor, have, teach, be a professor of theology, know Greek and Hebrew, but he still didn't know if he was really a child of God or not? Because he had this, and, and so many people have this yet today, they think, if I'm going to get to heaven, I, I have to be holy enough. As with all that he knew, he was really trusting in himself and his religious works. He wasn't trusting totally and completely in Jesus and what Jesus had done, dying on the cross and shedding his blood and being raised from the dead. And, and he, he was a minister, he was a preacher for several years before he switched from head faith to heart faith. 
And you know what he said when he had that experience? He said, it was a quarter till nine, and I was listening to some teaching from Romans about the just shall live by faith. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, my heart was strangely warmed, and I knew that I did trust in Christ. And, and, as, as, and as my Savior, and, and I quit trusting in myself. But later, they had an experience. They were praying at an all-night prayer meeting. It was uh, New Year's Eve, and John Wesley writes, he says, at about three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. He said, as soon as we were recovered a little from that experience, from that awe and amazement at the presence of, the, of His majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise Thee, O God. We acknowledge Thee to be Lord. And Wesley went on to uh, lead the development of the Methodist church, had thousands of adherents when he passed from the scene in the late uh, 1700s. But John Wesley said something that really can be a warning to every person who's ever had a, a spiritual experience with God. The next slide, we have a quote from him. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. See, Wesley had been around long enough, and, and the church had had many, many centuries, and Wesley had seen, and this, boy, this should be a warning to every single one of us, is that you can't just coast on something that God did in your life 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, we need to have a fresh relationship with God. We need to maintain, the when, when, and, and this is one of the things that Jesus said to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. He said, you don't love me the way you used to love me. And he said, you need to repent and return to your first love, the, the kind of love you had at the beginning of your relationship with God. Let's, let's skip Jonathan Edwards, and let's, I, I want to stop with this lady named Dorothea Trudell. She's a couple down. Most of you have probably never heard of this lady, but I want to close, uh, move toward our close with this. Dorothea Trudell was not a preacher. She was a florist. She ran a business with flowers in just outside of Zurich, Switzerland, and um, she was raised, her, her father had been a severe alcoholic and I think was pretty much out of the picture in her home growing up. And she and her mother and brother uh, grew up really destitute financially. And uh, it wasn't that the mother was against taking them to the doctor when they got something 
you know, happening physically. They didn't have any money to go to the doctor. So Dorothea grew up that whenever she was sick, her mother would anoint her with oil, according to James chapter 5, and pray the prayer of faith. And she had seen herself healed. She had seen her little brother get healed. And uh, a plague swept through Europe. Now, what, and I'm not trying to make any commentary here other than to say um, many of the plagues in history have taken out 30% of the population. You know, there were some very, very severe plagues. And every one, she had five employees, and every single one of her five employees got this plague. And she remembered all the times that her mother had prayed for her. Remember, she's not a preacher. She called her five employees together and, and got the Bible out and read from James chapter 5, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up or her up. And if there's been any sins committed, they'll be forgiven. She read that to her five employees, got out the oil and anointed each one of them. Each one of them got healed. And people weren't really getting healed of that particular plague. And what happened is word began to spread. And, and what you read on this, it says so many people were showing up at her door that she finally began to take some of them in. When her home filled up, she bought another and then another. She ended up with three homes. Her, her time was now spent in supervising the homes and praying for the sick. Hundreds of people were healed through prayer. The stories quickly spread, uh, and people came from all over Europe to receive prayer, including France, Germany, and Great Britain. There were so many people coming that her homes were considered a hospital. Now, at this point in history, a local doctor got jealous and filed a lawsuit against her for practicing medicine without a license. And so they shut her down. And she appealed and lost, she appealed and lost, and then finally she appealed to the highest court, what, what, whatever would be the Supreme Court of Switzerland. And she had multiple doctors in this court case come and testify about, church, about their patients who had been healed as a result of prayer that these medical doctors knew it was, they did not get healed because of the medical treatment. They got healed because of prayer. And, and they ended up with 100 witnesses in this trial, many of them medical doctors, and many others were simple, just regular folk who had been healed. And the highest court in the land said, you're clearly not practicing medicine. What you're doing is totally different. You're praying for people. Keep doing what you're doing. And she resumed the operation uh, of the, the clinics or homes. And God blessed multitudes of people. And there were people, I don't have time to go into it, but there were doctors here in the United States that found out about it and began doing some similar things here in the States. So some pretty amazing things. Let's jump ahead to William Seymour, if we could. Anybody here ever hear of Azusa Street? You know, that great outpouring that happened of the Holy Spirit in the early 1900s. Uh, I love what Brother Seymour said. He said, the Pentecostal power when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. 
if it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. So when we're talking about these things, when we're talking about miracles and healings and gifts of the Spirit, it's not something that's disconnected or disjointed from the love of God. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're really just talking about more of God's love in our life. It's not something weird or spooky or anything of that nature. And God wants His church to be a church where people are expecting the supernatural, expecting the miraculous. It doesn't take the place of wisdom. It doesn't take the place of common sense. It doesn't take the place of the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't take the place of walking in love. It's just all part of the overall package of what God has for the church today. Let me, let me show you two, two closing slides. Anybody here ever hear about Billy Graham? You know about Billy Graham? What a great, wonderful evangelist went home to be with the Lord back in 2018. He said, and today, when the gospel is proclaimed on the frontiers of the Christian faith that approximate the first century situation, meaning he's really saying when the gospel is preached where it's never been heard before, if you want to know where the greatest miracles are going to happen, they're going to happen on the cutting edge of evangelism in conjunction with people getting born again and people getting saved. He said, when the gospel is proclaimed on the frontiers of the Christian faith that approximate the first century situation, miracles still sometimes accompany the advance of the gospel as indicated by both the prophets Hosea and Joel, as we approach the end of the age. How many of you believe we're approaching the end of the age? He said, we may expect miracles to increase. And he went on to say this. This is our very final slide. As we approach the end of the age, I believe we will see a dramatic recurrence of signs and wonders that will demonstrate the power of God to a skeptical world. And, and this statement that Billy Graham made is so, he said, just as the powers of Satan are being unleashed with greater intensity. Does anybody think the powers of Satan are being released with greater intensity? Billy Graham says, so I believe God will allow signs and wonders to be performed. How many of you can believe God for that? How many of you can believe not just, see, it's one thing to believe that you will receive a miracle. And, and man, we want to stand with you. We want to pray for you tonight. That, it, that if you need a, a miracle touch from God, that you'll have that. This is the place to receive that. But an even greater prayer than God, let a miracle happen in my life. An even greater prayer is God, use me to demonstrate your love and your miraculous power to other people. God, let me be not just a recipient of a divine touch, but Lord, let me be a distributor of your love and your mercy and your compassion. Let me read this one more time, what Reinhard Bonnke said. He said, Christianity is either supernatural or nothing at all. 
We have and still have a supernatural Jesus with a supernatural ministry creating a supernatural church with a supernatural gospel and a supernatural Bible. Take the miraculous away and you have taken Christianity's life away. The church then becomes an ethical society or a social club when it is intended to be the grid system for transmitting the power of God into this powerless world, you and I are conductors of God's power to the world. You and I are conductors of God's power to the world. Jesus said, verily I say to you, he who believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.